are never too good for help. You're right. never too good to, to not listen to someone's opinion. That is, is a big, big adjustment. Because there are a lot of people in Atlanta who are very, very new. But bad actors think they're done learning. You can always learn something from any situation you're ever in. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. As always, I am your host, Daniel, and thank you so much for joining us again for another interview series. Uh, we really hope you enjoyed the commentary with Todd Nunez and Ashley uh, Mary Nunez. We hope you got a chance to listen to it. Uh, it was so much fun to record, and Michael and I are already talking about a, the next movie we want to do. Because uh, we definitely want to do that again. Um, it was just fun. It was just fun just to sit and kind of relax and chat and just have fun watching a good film. Um, it's always enjoyable to do that. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the year. It is November, uh, almost Thanksgiving, woohoo, and December and the holidays. It's already feeling like winter here finally in Los Angeles. Um, we're super excited. Um, we have some great stuff coming for you. Like I mentioned last time, we have. Uh, a Thanksgiving special episode. We have uh, some Christmas special episodes. This is our final interview series of the year. Wow. Uh, it's kind of even hard to think about. Um, it's been a crazy half year since June. A year, if you if we go to when we started putting this together. Um, can't believe it's almost over for the year. And then 2018, man, we've got some great stuff. We already have interviews planned, already interviews in the can. It's... Uh, it's going to be awesome. We can't wait. Um, and to tell you more as we get closer, it's going to be exciting. Uh, just a heads up, uh, some backstory on some of our audio issues. When we were able successfully fundraise on Kickstarter, we bought two uh, uh, blue snowball mics um, to record on. And what we didn't realize was that snowballs, for some reason, are coded the same and so you uh, same frequency, so you can't use two USB snowballs on one computer and record together. So we've had to either use two separate computers, or we found this software that basically creates like a virtual mixer that we were able to use. But the problem is it wouldn't always pick up both mics, or halfway through uh, recording it would drop a mic, and we'd still you'd only hear the other person on the other mic. So. Uh, we have that was the case with this one, uh, this recording, uh, and so I've had to amplify my side of the conversation. So sorry for some of the weird audio levels. Uh, I tried to get them pretty close and match as best as possible. So hope you understand. Uh, we're we're still editing. Kel's still uh, spending time with family, which we completely understand, and we still send him our love and hope he, you know, he's getting through this. It's really tough, and we we love him. Uh, you know, I don't want, you know, take too much time. I'll talk a little more after the interview. Uh, this interview this week is with a wonderful gentleman named AJ Jones, a good friend of Michael. Uh, Michael mentioned AJ initially when we were just, you know, brainstorming guests to have on. And the problem was that he lived in Georgia and we didn't have a way of doing really a good Skype call interview that sounded good or anything like that. And just so happened that AJ was coming into L.A. for the Fringe Festival to see some friends who were in some plays. And luckily, he had a three-hour break where he could sit down with us and record, which was fantastic. Uh, so we were able to sit down in person and talk to him about uh, about living away from L.A. and finding success outside of L.A. 
so that's kind of how this came apart. So in Act 1 with A.J. Jones, Daniel, myself, and A.J. trek A.J.'s journey from Houston, Texas, and Orlando, Florida. We discuss learning to survive and grow as an actor in Los Angeles. Then we also discuss working in other cities like San Diego and Atlanta and how they compare to Los Angeles. We discuss the current film boom in Atlanta, what enticed AJ to make that his new base of operations, and what new opportunities it offered him. This is a fantastic interview on making it somewhere completely unexpected. So grab a peach, some sweet tea, and enjoy this wonderful interview with the actor, writer, AJ Jones. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is from Orlando, Florida, but moved to Los Angeles to pursue his acting career. While in L.A., A.J. racked up notable theater credits, including What's Wrong with Angry, which received an ovation nomination for Best Ensemble, Train Spotting at the Elephant Theater, and No Homo, a Romantic Tragedy, which premiered at the 2015 Hollywood Fringe Festival, winning Best World Premiere as well as Best Director for previous Hollywood Hustle guests. Jessica Hanna. AJ is also our first guest on the podcast to attain a level of success after moving away from LA to Atlanta Wood. Is that? Yeah, that's a thing. In Georgia. We're thrilled to have him on the show and to dive into his Hollywood hustle outside of California. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone all over the world, Mr. A. Double J. Jones. That's me. <laughs> well, we're done. Thanks for coming, AJ. All right. Y'all have a good one. I'm going back to Georgia, man. <laughs> so you've been gone how long to, to uh, It has been um, about a year and a half. So so you've already uh, developed like the owning a uh, uh, plantation owner. Oh, of <laughs> course. Yeah. No, no. I, I have taken... I have to I, say I'm an act of... A high degree. Now I say, I say, I love me a nice julep while I'm doing in between takes. Don't drink sweet tea. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> nope, not yet. No, but Yollywood is real. Yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real thing. thing, man. It's a real thing. Well, yeah. it's it, it's a a market that's really grown over the last few years, especially with the tax breaks they offer. Mm-hmm. And Walking Dead, I think, really is mm-hmm. the one that kind of really down in Sonoya. Fun mm-hmm. story. It's where they shot fried green tomatoes. Oh, it's the love same that movie. town. Yeah, love that movie. Yeah, they, yeah, Walking Dead basically owns the town. I think you say Walking Dead was based on. <laughs> yeah, what they did was they took fried green tomatoes, they sat down, and they did a really long art <laughs> breakdown of how do we make this into a graphic novel. Yeah, when if zombies were attacking the old lady <laughs> in the, fried green tomatoes, yep. what would that be like? Mm-hmm. That's that's how every good piece of literature starts. Yeah, uh, fun fact: uh, Rick's actual favorite uh, food, fried green tomato. Wow. No one ever really knows that, that because I made it up. Oh, wow. You fooled me. Yes. So it's okay. Get out. Ah, it's all right. <laughs> hey, but the city, seriously, though, the city of Sonoya, um, it's an old town. So the, the town of, uh, what was it? In Walking Dead, it wasn't Mayberry, but it had the it had the berry in the name where the governor was oh, from. Oh, um, uh, Woodbury. No, Woodbury. So Woodbury, um, the actual town that you see when they're shooting the episode, that's downtown Sonoya. Okay. The actual city. So what they do is those are real businesses mm-hmm. that they're that they're shooting at. Right. But the town of Sonoya is so smart. They those businesses are designed to still be open, but from the back side. Interesting. So while they're shooting in the middle of downtown, mm-hmm. shooting Walking Dead, all of those businesses are still open. There's just entrances and, and on the so on the back side. Just using a different side. Of the yeah. So awesome. I mean, I mean, you have a yeah, you have like a veterinary clinic, a, a hardware store, and there's people just coming up and buying stuff. Probably mm-hmm. while they're shooting all of those Walking Dead episodes. Really, really smart. Interesting. So let's let's turn the clock back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to where it all began. 
<laughs> where where is AJ from? Tell us about your family, your mm-hmm. family life. Just give us a little rundown of that. Sure. Uh, I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, we did not live there very long. Uh, we've moved all over the place, mostly because of my mom's job. Right. You um, were there I, for three months, I believe. Three months. And you drove the car, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I said I'm out of here. Old. It's yeah, too yeah. hot. Three months. I'm yeah. Out. I said peace. I've, I've, um, I've been alive for three months and I can't stand it here. Yeah. I was. I knew exactly what I wanted very quickly. <laughs> so we left and we moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we moved to Fishers, Indiana, kind of Indianapolis um, suburb. We moved to Atlanta a little bit growing up. I was there uh, during the '96 Olympics. Uh, so I was a little, a little wee little guy. Um, and then uh, Florida is kind of kind of what I call home. I lived in Tampa, the Orlando area, and then kind of the really kind of uh, middle of nowhere Lake County area. Okay. Um, smaller, smaller towns out there. A little, little bit more country of a feel. So if um, anybody ever asks, like, where are you from? That's kind of the... I kind of pick and choose Orlando, yeah. to be honest. It's kind of where I... It's just where my, my deepest relationships from childhood per se right. still come from is orlando so Any brothers and sisters nope i'm it oh this is yeah we were very easy to move i feel you there uh-huh really on the single the single child life. yeah it was you know it was it was hard moving so much but what it it forced me to meet people right like for i i had no choice but we're gonna move to a new place and i have to go make friends or else i'm gonna sit in, in my house and do nothing just be alone um, yeah so it, it you know i i definitely feel like i i got like a lot of my personable traits from just moving so much as an only child now for me as, as an only child it really caused me to i think that's kind of where my imagination mm-hmm. and my creativity came from was because being by myself mm-hmm. a lot of times i had to come up with ways to entertain myself mm-hmm. um is that something do you is that something that you feel you, happened with you as well yeah i feel like i was always looking for an outlet for it because i feel like i always had the imagination but i had no one to to do it with right i had no one at home to to you know build forts with and stuff i mean i had my parents in, uh, sure but my parents are a little, they're a little they're a little bit older my mom was i think she was in her in her mid like 30s when she when she had me um pretty much so, describing my life right yeah now. <laughs> so you know we, we they they didn't they didn't treat me like a like a like an infant like a like a baby and and jump around with me and and mm-hmm. and play around with me. so yeah i had to i had to go out and i had to find my early closest friends to go play you know cops and robbers mm-hmm. and and like Which amazon were, adventures and stuff like that were we, you the robber or were you the cop i was mostly the cop because mm-hmm. i i was obsessed with whatever movie that was where it was an Arnold movie, I think, and he screams, "Come with me if you want to live." Every Which, every movie is that pretty much any any one. So was I, Terminator was uh, that actual? That was the first Terminator. Sure, You're right. Yeah, yeah, that was the, the first, first Terminator. Said, yeah. So I I remember one specific moment. It was a a friend's birthday party. I mean, legitimately kindergarten or mm-hmm. first grade, and it was a, a friend's birthday party, and we had this big they had this big area in the back, and there was probably twenty of us kids just running around, and we had like divided up into teams, kind of cops and robbers, kind of. We're just playing like a fake war over something. I remember I just stood up and I just screamed, "Come with me if you want to live!" <laughs> and the birthday kid turns around and just looks at me and goes, "Dude, it's not your birthday, man." <laughs> I was like, "So I think That's from amazing. a yeah, I think from a very young age, I always had a a creative streak." What's your uh, What's your first recollection of like theater or film or, or theatrical plays? When I was in third grade, mm-hmm. this was in Summerfield, Florida, like Tampa, Florida, and um, I did the Christmas play at Summerfield Elementary, where I got to play Santa Claus. Oh, and I I don't even remember why I wanted to do it or audition for it or anything like that. I think it just looked fun, mm-hmm. and and they they. Now, were they you cast the lead? me a Santa. Santa, I think, 
I would like to think I was the lead. I think I was a little bit more of like novelty. Okay. Like the show, Santa is a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. Like they have to rescue Santa. Mm. So it's it's more about the people who are doing the rescuing. Gotcha. But like you can't have the show without Santa Claus. Absolutely. So oh, I was I was like, you were the basis cool. for the show. Yeah, it was my first kiss of my life. Oh, I wow. had to kiss Mrs. Claus, and it it was the biggest moment for do anyone. Remember, do you remember who played Mrs. Claus? A girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, a girl um, if you're out there. <laughs> A, a dot girl. a girl yeah a girl, girl comma a girl comma a whoever that could be did you have any lines in the show do you remember any of your lines? yeah i i i don't remember what i said or anything i remember the i remember the show after i'm gonna assume you said ho 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 at some point i probably show? did i probably had a couple pillows like stuffed yeah. like in my in my gut too the show i remember the best from that like age range was the the year later mm-hmm. they did the christmas show but i didn't play Santa, I played Tony the Pizza Guy. Oh, sweet! Who was actually a, a classic Christmas character? Of course. Of, of, I mean, of just tradition. just if you go through all of the breakdowns of any Christmas show trope, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tony the Pizza Guy is always He's there. Always there. Um, what would Christmas Vacation be without Tony the Pizza Guy? <laughs> Guys, I really don't think we should have in. Christmas anymore. Hey, yeah. what are you doing? You got to have the Christmas. Yeah, you know, deleted scene: the tree that falls through the couples <laughs> that was actually supposed to go through a pizza parlor, and they were mm. going to have a Tony spinoff. It just didn't. It didn't quite get the funding. Oh, so they they went in a different direction. Burned out. Um, yeah, yeah, they mm. they just didn't. <laughs> I, I I think there was some kind of safety issue with that. But I played Tony, and that was kind of one of the lead roles for some reason. I really don't know. I remember it was this Hungry Howie's Pizza, and they had a whole bunch of Hungry Howie's Pizza boxes, like 10, and I would walk in, and someone bumped into me, and I had to, like, prat fall and, like, gag, spill all this pizza. It was... (laughs) It was a lot of pressure. Something you still do today just for laughs at parties, right? Mostly, yeah. You, that's... you actually have the boxes still. You take them to the parties. Oh, totally. I am a, I'm a wonder at parties because I am just a, a, in a constant state of bit. Prattfall king. Where I do nothing but bits. Right, yeah. Just, you know, I really was trying to have a sincere conversation with this guy over there, but he just kept doing bits. Yeah. He wouldn't stop. I mean, every single person asks me, who's your favorite actor, AJ? And I say, well, it's very simple. It's Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the artistic depth and everything that he mm-hmm. that he does. It's just what's what I it's what I shoot for most no, of the time. Now, well, how how were you in school? Were you a good student, bad student? I was I, I was a very very good student. Mm-hmm. I was I was kind of strange in that sense where where I was an athlete. Like I played baseball, right? Um, all basically since pre K. But I was really good in math. I really really enjoyed math. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa, whoa. you're an actor who's good at math. Yes. Do you like math? Um, up until trig. Okay. Everything this is rare. This is just rare yeah. for an actor who is no, good yeah. and likes math. Yeah. Everything. No. Everything. Everything. Like algebra. I loved algebra. X's and Y's and ABCs and I. I loved it. Like balancing you equations. Know there's more to that than just <laughs> just saying letters, just letters, right? What I'm thinking is now, if I really think back, I probably I'm a terrible I, student. <laughs> I probably didn't take math past third grade. But no, no, no. I really, really enjoyed math up until. You started doing limits and 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 measuring uh, distances, and I was mm-hmm. just oh no 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 this is this is bad. This is not working no, out. this is not mm-hmm. math anymore. This is. I think mine was up to geometry. Like geometry was probably like the peak of my math success. Mm-hmm. Oh right. wow, real fast. Real fast. Yeah, I wonder if uh, the Pythagorean theorem had something to do with that. So you played baseball. Yes, sir. What, uh, what positions did you play? Uh, I mostly played shortstop. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I pitched. Just because if if you if you're that 
fourth, fifth grade age and you can accurately throw the ball, you're a pitcher. <laughs> basically, <laughs> yeah, is, if you can throw yeah, it in a straight is, line. is basically what it is. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was pretty, I was pretty decent um, on the mound, but I was, I was mostly a, a shortstop infielder. Okay. Um, yeah. One thing I'd like to ask: We've had several athletes mm-hmm. on on the show. Uh, one thing I really enjoy asking is how is there something from playing sports or being a part of a team, a sports mm-hmm. team, that maybe something that you learn and still take with you mm-hmm. today? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, the kind of generic team, I need to do my part. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to, uh, you know, I'm I'm filling in a role that, that is needed um, for the betterment of the entire group. That the, right. th- that kind of, yeah, super cheesy normal thing is, is right. It's a stereotype for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was much more like like knowing my body. Right. Knowing, um, just knowing body length. Because I, I used to watch, because I, I kind of grew up right when, as an athlete, as a baseball player, you used to go to all these showcases to try and get colleges to see you. And um, they would they would always record you. So you could watch your, your form. You, they could watch you field ground balls, take swings in the batting cage. So I was kind of always watching myself. And so when I'm, when I'm watching myself, you start to learn, oh, when it feels like I do something, that means I'm lifting my leg this way. And, and you see enough of that, and eventually you can start to understand just how your body moves and what your body looks like and how it works. So right. for me, um, yes, being an athlete has given me just the understanding of like the work ethic mm-hmm. and like when you're on stage, when you're in an ensemble, when you're in the theater, the, the work ethic and the the amount of work it takes to to do it well that yeah that definitely sat in but for me it was much much more um i think it helped me more on camera than Mm -hmm. anything just because i i i understand the feeling quicker of making adjustments right um and seeing myself do something i think it's important i think that's something we haven't heard is the idea like someone's making quick adjustments Mm -hmm. and like when you're doing sports Mm -hmm. you have to like especially baseball where that ball can go anywhere Mm -hmm. so you have to split second decide Okay. Oh, okay. I need to cover second. I need to run to third. I mm-hmm. need to step back. So, I, I, yeah, I can definitely understand that in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, it. It's baseball. <laughs> baseball is the most frustrating sport to play mm-hmm. um, because when you're when you're batting, you know there is there is so much that you don't control. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's all unf- about randomness. It, it's, it's very much similar to acting um, in that sense, yeah. where it's like the the guy on the mound is not only is he above you, he's mm-hmm. throwing down, which gravity is working against you, mm-hmm. but he's throwing a round ball. Mm-hmm. You're trying to hit it square with mm-hmm. a round bat. Um, he can throw it in any one of infinite small places. He can throw it anywhere from like a 40-mile-per-hour range. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he can throw it with any kind of curve or dip or anything he wants to. And if you can hit the thing, you mm-hmm. then have to hit it safely past eight people who have been strategically placed to catch it where mm-hmm. you are statistically going to hit it. I feel what you're describing is a comedy. <laughs> I mean, really. Like if, if you're thinking about like somebody pitches you a, a setup, mm-hmm. you have to deliver the punchline, and then that punchline has to hit the audience, which is the mm-hmm. eight, eight people or get, get to the audience in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hopefully it doesn't go yeah. foul. <laughs> and, and the good ones can hit can hit the punchline that is dodging the audience who think they know what it's coming. Baseball metaphor. Yes, we connected it. <laughs> Welcome to baseball talk. Yeah. Uh, so about those angels. <laughs> They're a team. 
I just do the angel <laughs> movement. That's the only reason I want to go to an Angels game is just so I can stand up at some point and start doing the angel Angels in the outfield. <laughs> angels uh, thing. And just somebody don't, yeah, me, I, don't do that. I grew up with Angels. I grew up with Sandlot. Um, <laughs> Sandlot had a big part of my life. Oh, um, Sandlot had a yeah. big uh, Anybody that grew up with 90s. Is a yeah. Sandlot uh, Field of Dreams. Oh man, I loved Field of Dreams. This is um, baseball movie talk, man. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I, you get me in that rabbit hole. Bull, Bull Durham. I mean, I loved Bull Durham. Yeah. Bull Durham. I think I was I was a little young when Bull Durham was really really popular. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was it was the other ones first. Right. Uh, like like Major League. Uh, oh, I I could watch Major League anytime it's and on. Major League Two with anytime. fake Wesley Snipes. It, it wasn't no, it wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still laughed a few. No, times, it was great. But. No, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing going through school and you know high school and college, mm-hmm. um, what what was the one what catal- what was the catalyst for you to continuing performing from that Christmas and playing Tony the Pizza Guy? Mm-hmm. What kind of kept you like wanting to do it? And what, um, you know how did that. How did that unravel into the rest of your education? So I basically retired after Tony the Pizza Guy. Ah, so from fourth short lived great yes. Career. So from fourth, legitimately from fourth grade until my freshman year of college, I did no acting whatsoever. I didn't want to be an actor. I never really thought about it in any way. Was you, like, were you still interested in the arts? Did you go to see plays? Or I always enjoyed the arts. Like I, I, I loved drawing and I loved um, like playing music. Like right. I, you know, I was, I was in a fake little punk band with some friends in like seventh grade. I played the bass, which basically means I, I played the fourth string of the bass. Yeah. Do 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 um that, i mean that was that was that was like that's that's the only stuff i could do i did uh do 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 i was like mom i can play a song <laughs> yeah that was that was about four minutes on youtube but yeah i did no acting whatsoever just mm-hmm. didn't i mean i always was interested in the i was a weird athlete because i was i was die hard i was going to go play in college i was good but i just i was not like other athletes i just i wasn't i wasn't i i never really fit in um into like even the kind of athlete cliques that do exist on teams i just never seemed to quite fit in i was interested in other stuff right i didn't always just want to talk about sports and yeah and and so i just had a bunch of other interests and things like that but so to be honest, one of the main catalysts was Whose Lines It Anyway? Ah, I mean, we grew the, up... The, the original. Was, the original, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the original American version. Yeah, it was Gary. Yeah, and, and we, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was so funny. And so when I moved to Orlando, this was in seventh grade. I was in Orlando seventh to tenth grade. And so when we were there, there's a place in Orlando called Sack Comedy Lab. And it's actually where Wayne Brady came from. Mm. He he uh, he started there. He worked at uh, Universal Studios and things like that. And so, but Sack is this great little locals only kind of not touristy at all little hidden gem in Orlando uh, mm. for comedy for especially improv who's line type of like games. Mm. And so we would go we'd go once or twice a month just to go watch not mm-hmm. to not to go be actors or anything right. we just we would just go watch we just thought to it was, enjoy it. yeah my friends and I we just thought it was hilarious we loved it so did that all throughout just stayed relatively interested in that all throughout high school and then my um, my senior year of high school I was in a, a TV production class because I needed an, a class to take I mean I always loved movies you know I loved movies and 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 TV shows and, and obviously like Who's Line stuff and I loved it so I was like okay yeah make a make a little movie or something so what that ended up turning into 
was my TV production teacher could see that I was actually interested because, you know, TV production, half of TV production classes is the guys wearing the oversized Jinko jeans, right. eating Cheez-Its and, <laughs> uh, you know, listening to, to Mudvayne. Right. Like that's, that's bum, most, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really it's a, but great mud vein in Brevin, by the way. Uh, I can I can it's do like it better. I'll, I'll do it later. <laughs> they are here. They're in they're in the back. Oh, um, ladies and gentlemen, mud vein. <laughs> yep, there's four people here. But he could tell that the, my uh, my tea production teacher. He could tell I was actually somewhat interested, and he said, "You know, I want to challenge you. Like like go and um, like just go and go and shoot something. Go and actually do a little something." So we you know we took a little a little zoom digital camera with a little um, mini DV tapes and. We went and shot just like little one-minute videos and stuff. I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. This is kind of cool. And he saw my, – my teacher's name is Mr. Butler. And uh, he, he he saw that we were actually like shooting little – kind of little stories. And so he approached me and kind of said, hey, we need to – we need uh, a video for the lunchroom. They want to – the school wants to kind of put out some new lunchroom rules. But they don't just want to make an announcement. And we kind of said, well, we have some TV production stuff. Why don't we just make a video? So he basically, in essence, kind of gave me my first directing gig, you know, as a senior in high school. And and so, yeah, me and about six or seven of my friends, I think, we went to the lunchroom and made some goofy little kind of sketch little lunchroom rules videos and kind of put them together. And they liked them. So that kind of led to we, we did one for like the new freshman coming in, like an orientation video. We did a we did a respect your teachers video with one of the like really cool teachers in the school. So before you know it, like all of a sudden, like we've shot like little workable videos. So I, so at that point it kind of came out of nowhere. I had never, I had never had that freedom before. So I was kind of like, Oh, maybe I want to like direct or something. This is kind of neat. I just want to make, make little movies and stuff. I didn't know what it was. Um, I was like, this is pretty fun. Then we, we decided to do our own little movie Mm -hmm. since we had done three now. And they said, okay, you can have a little bit more freedom. So we we did a parody of Talladega Nights. What do we call it? We called it Domino Lightning, I think. So in essence, you know when you set up the dominoes and you knock them down and they all fall Mm -hmm. like in a straight line? Well, we kind of thought it was really funny if you had two lines of those set up by two different people and they drag raced them to see whose line could finish first. (laughs) It was hilarious to us when we came up with it. Probably mostly because the guy who was in it, Trey, had a Ricky Bobby costume. It's probably why we thought it was so funny. So yeah, it was this kind of like little eight minute, like little parody, funny little movie about this guy named Rusty Nail, who was the the greatest domino racer of all time, and with this epic um, dun 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 dun, all these shots of like the dominoes falling real slowly, and he's running behind them. It was it was fun. It was the most like creative I've ever like gotten to be in a movie, film, anything since ever. And and so I was like, this is cool because like you know we wrote it, and it was like this is really really cool. And so. I kind of had an interest in it, and so I was looking at different schools during that time for baseball. I was looking at different schools um, kind of around the country that I was going to go to, right. and long story short, none of them worked out. I kind of got the ring around by a couple different schools, and so ended up going to Lake Sumter Community College okay. in Leesburg, Florida, because the— Sounds um, like a happening place. That was next door to Leesburg High School in Leesburg, Florida. Yeah, I think maybe 2,500 students in the, in the whole school. Um, the campus was not big. The whole reason I went there is because the baseball coach said, "Hey, I heard that stuff didn't work out for you. We think you, we think you're great. We want you to come and play for us." So, boom. And Lake Sumter Community College, 
does not have a a film and TV program. No, no, it is. It I'm, is. I'm it is. Shocked. I don't. I think it's because they have the tax incentives yet. I'm gonna pitch that when I go back. But they had a like an acting. I'm trying to think of the word. Like an acting, kind of like a troupe. Yeah. They call it. They call it the um, theater arts society. Okay. So it's like a group of. Um, I think they call those cults. Yeah. It, it it was it was a little bit it was a little bit cultish. I've been in. A handful of acting cults that I've mm-hmm. weaseled out of. We all have. It's called the Theater Arts Society, and they were kind of born out of out of an acting class there called Acting One. Oh, <laughs> there was Acting One and Acting Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was this was what you could do at Lake yeah. Sumter Community College. Act, and one. Do you want one or two? Ex- exactly. No, no, no. Acting One was the prerequisite oh. to Acting Two. Act, well, of course. Of course, the Acting Tours frowned upon the Acting One. <laughs> The acting ones were your, for starters, acting two yes. were your De Niro. Acting, yes. Acting one, you are recreating Go Dog Go. Mm-hmm. Acting two, you are doing, um, I don't know, something Mammoth. Just name it. American <laughs> Buffalo. Just anything um, Mammoth. Yes, anything Mammoth. You're just screaming very loudly. But so it was the only type of anything related to mm-hmm. film or, or, or acting or anything that they had. So right. I took the class. Acting one. Acting one. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. Like it was, it was incredibly you know beginner and it was just fun little improv games the stuff that we kind of used to grow up watching right and um like i would do things that i thought were funny and some people would laugh at them and stuff like that and i'd be like oh maybe i have a little natural something to this you know i, I mean i wouldn't blow people away but i was like oh i'm not i'm not terrible at this the man who um ran the class also directed the um the theater arts society and gary rogers he directed the whole theater arts society because they would do two main stage plays a year. And they were doing Cyrano de Bergerac. And they needed some athletic guys to sword fight in this play. And he subtly hinted directly to my face for about two weeks that they really need athletic guys to sword fight in this play. If anybody's listening, Josh, David, AJ... mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. No, he would go. He would go. Mary, um, can you uh, go ahead and close the door? We're gonna get started in class, everybody. Today we're gonna work on a couple different uh, workshops. Just so you know, uh, we really need some athletic guys for the show we're doing uh-huh. in a couple weeks. Uh-huh. Anybody? So athletic guys, athletes preferred, um, who are currently in this class. <laughs> who may be staring at me. At okay, this let's talk about Stella Adler. But really, mostly athletes, actually, <laughs> ones who can throw. <laughs> are on the you t- top of the a list. Game that you throw and swing things in. Mm-hmm. Just anybody? Any yeah. Takers? Any 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 anyone who fits this description, feel free to um. Just make sure I'm touching all the bases. Ha! <laughs> yeah. I really don't want to strike out looking for anybody. <laughs> I'll do it. Sit down, David. Yeah. <laughs> no, d- David, no, you 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 shouldn't throw the ball. <laughs> You played badminton. No one I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just kind of pitching it out there, seeing if anybody wants to uh, <laughs> to catch it up. So real um, subtle. We can we can riff on this forever. Yeah, we, we could. This is a, a baseball bit. Never thought I'd do a baseball <laughs> bit. Hey, you always got a bit. Third a base. <laughs> <laughs> but so so finally, I gave in. Is that to how the... you end all your jokes? You just yell third base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Third base. <laughs> That's your catchphrase. Yes, that's, your new catchphrase. that's the best one. No, my my best friend just showed me a uh, a kids in the hall sketch about uh, vaudeville, and my oh, favorite nice. is just the guy he he plays Mr. Green, and he's <laughs> he's just the worst straight man ever, and and it's just there's just the greatest moment when 
when uh, the 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 funny one of the of the group goes, so hey, Mr. Green, I heard that you uh you coach a baseball team now. Mr. Green goes, no, 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 I I'm I'm a vaudevillian. I d- I don't know for some reason it just struck a chord because with me. There's always that person in an improv class. Always, always. yeah. So now I I think my new catchphrase is very subtly. I'm a vaudevillian. <laughs> no. I think. Or just not, no, it's no. whatever you're doing at that moment. Like, no. you act right. No, I'm, I'm no. doing an interview. No. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a vaudevillian. Um, so, so, so he so kind of pushed you to be in he that. He convinced me finally more out of just please let this man stop hinting <laughs> in my direction and I'm going to do it. Um, and I remember the day. I remember the act. Like the actual moment when I left practice because I had to go rehearse after baseball practice. So I left practice. I got showered off real quick. I walked across the little green quaddish yard into the back of the theater and I turned right down the hallway. And as soon as I turned right, the hallway went right to a pair of double doors that went right to the backstage. So the double doors were open, the backstage curtains were open. So I could literally see from the hallway all the way like into the seats of the theater. Right. And I could see everybody who was standing on stage holding rapiers and starting to stretch. I remember the smell. It was that old, like, musty carpet smell of mm-hmm. any community college ever. I'm trying to make this 4D experience. I remember I remember just exactly walking down the hallway, and I remember just kind of seeing a handful of people I had seen from class. And the guy who was um, kind of the fight choreographer, I guess he had worked on Steven Seagal films. Um, I'm trying to remember his name, but apparently he was a pretty. That makes sense. I think they 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 filmed um, uh, Under Siege in Atlanta, in Georgia, I believe. Did they really? I oh, so. I yeah, I, I need to get caught up on my on that my could Seagal. Could be completely wrong. Yeah, I'm just gonna say it on my Seagal vault. Some Seagal maniac out there going, "No, they didn't film that there." No, you I am idiot. I am going to send a hastily written letter <laughs> to the Hollywood Hustle podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> no, I can't type. I'm going to write a letter and email it. In, in calligraphy. <laughs> Use wax, a wax stapling of my initial. I'm going to, I'm going to take a piece of paper and punch it, <laughs> fold it up, and send it to you guys. I just got this crumpled up piece of paper in the mail. He actually took time to address it. Yeah, I don't get it. I think that's a knuckle print. A knuckle what is print? that? How did he keep that in the paper? I hear, though, that that's how Chuck Norris communicates now. Is <laughs> through knuckles? Yeah, through knuckle, knuckle mail. Knuckle mail? <laughs> Oh, man. Chuck Norris facts took over my life for a minute. <laughs> so a really nice guy. Really nice guy. Apparently, he was pretty he, – he lived in Orlando. I think he worked like the stunt shows at Disney and stuff. So pretty pretty well-known guy um, in kind of the, the area we mm-hmm. were in. And he handed me a, a rapier, and we just started learning, you know, fight choreography. Wow. and, and how to, more fun. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, what – what could you possibly want to do more as an athlete than just like kind of sword fight with mm-hmm. people? I was it was awesome. So basically, long story short, like I, I just worked really hard at it. It was like a, just a quick kind of two week rehearsal little mm-hmm. process. I worked really hard at it to to learn it. I got to play three different people nice. um, in three different sword fights. Tell I got pizza I got to die twice, <laughs> which was really fun. Mm-hmm. I got to get stabbed twice, and then one time I got shot with an arrow, and I got oh, to just fantastic. scream in the middle of this scene. It was awesome. Nice. But I, I just worked really hard, and uh, the director, Rogers, saw that like I was working really hard, and so a couple, a couple of people dropped out, mm-hmm. you know, because community college shows people right. come and go, yeah. and so and so I picked up a couple like little tiny roles. Like I got to play like one of the cadets, I think it was, like one of the soldiers, and had a couple like funny little bits. I got nice. to play a uh, the cavalier 
who, you know, approaches Cyrano and asks him, like, who is your sponsor? No one. You have no sponsor. Like, I was gross. Like, I was that gross. So you were just AJ. Oh, yeah. I was that, I was that, like, <laughs> That's please. how you said hi to me when you came into the room. Ah, gentlemen. We're talking about thespians of the TV. And then when you got on the mic, you started talking like this. Yes. Yeah, this is, this is years of training, folks, <laughs> to sound like a human, um, which, oddly enough, is my life. You pause the recording. Why did you pause the recording? I thought it was going splendidly. Oh, no. A siren. I hope everyone's okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the long drawn out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So yeah, that's the next book is Harry Potter and the Extended Ellipses. <laughs> um, but the curse so, of the extended. Oh, of course, mm-hmm. of course. No, it cannot be a positive extended no. ellipses. But so I got to play some just fun little roles and stuff, mm-hmm. and and people, you know, they responded well to me. They're like, "Wow, I didn't know you were like right. an actor. Like that was kind of cool and stuff like that." And when it was over, I was devastated. It, it took me by surprise. Right. When it was over, I was like pit of your stomach, like nauseous, mm-hmm. like I've just broken up with someone that I love that I was never going to see these people again. Mm-hmm. I was never going to get to do this again. I was never going to have this much fun again. Right. Baseball at the time, because, you know, I'm 5'9", 170. So baseball at the time was very frustrating because everybody was growing, getting real strong. And I just kind of stayed the same size. I couldn't throw as hard as anybody anymore. I couldn't hit the ball as far. I couldn't run as fast. So it was really frustrating, kind of humbling time in baseball. And so this was such a fun, fun escape for me to just get and play around and have some fun. And I was just devastated. And I, and I remember um, like walking through the hallways of school the next few days just really down that this, that this thing was happening. And I, I just, it just kind of hit me. We, we kind of rolled into like winter break and we kind of, it kind of hit me and I was just like, I just don't think I want to play baseball anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I, it, that's a really sobering thought when, since I was probably four years old, Mm -hmm. most every day I wake up has something to do with baseball, um, or working out or, or cardio or hitting in the cage or taking ground balls. I mean, that's just life. And so to think about not wanting to do it anymore was crazy to me. I, I couldn't even think about it. And so we, we went to Kentucky for Christmas, like we kind of always did when I was growing up. And I'm in the basement of my aunt's house, and I'm shooting pool with my dad. And we just have kind of this kind of heart-to-heart conversation. We're talking about baseball and, and what I want to do and how much I loved doing the play and everything. And, and, you know, I was like, maybe I think I kind of want to try that. Like, I really loved that. Like, more than anything I have tried almost ever. Like, I loved that, that feeling. My coach called me and said, hey, we just want to let you know we're going to redshirt you, which means you're going to be on the team, but you're not going to play this year. We're going to give you an extra year to kind of grow and get stronger and get faster. And, you know, most guys would be really bummed. I was crazy excited. I was like, oh, nice. So I'm going to get to, like, go do, like, another play again or something like that. And that just kind of hit me where it was like, oh, I don't think I want to play baseball. Like, why, I why re- stay on the team? Why stay? Yeah. If I don't want to do that, I think I really want to, like, like try this other thing and so of course right when i make that decision my coach calls me and says congratulations we're going to put you on the team we get, you're going to take the last slot in the team we we, we like you and we, we want to have you on the team and the coach uh coach billings um really special guy for me i think he was i think he was in his late 20s this time so younger guy you know mm-hmm. kind of understood and so i said hey coach just and it's kind, it's kind of going to come out of nowhere but i i kind of don't think i want to play anymore like i like not just because i want to quit baseball but like i 
I've kind of found something else that I think I really want to pursue and right. really try. And for me, I mean, that was a really, really huge moment in what Coach Billings did for me because mm-hmm. he literally said to me, he goes, hey, man, I totally understand. Like, if you found something else that you want to go for it, he goes, I think you should go for it 100%. Right. He said, my door is always open if you need anything. I mean, it just meant a lot the way he responded it was, it was to that. It was very positive support. It was incredibly supportive. Yeah. I was expecting, you know, all you ever hear from these real OG baseball coaches at all these colleges and camps is just like, you don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. You don't right. quit playing baseball. You don't quit. You don't quit because it's hard. You don't right. quit. You know, and eventually it's just like, I don't want to quit. I, think yeah. I just want to do something else. So in that moment, when I hung up that phone mm-hmm. in my aunt's basement in Louisville, Kentucky, I was no longer a baseball player. You were an actor. Yes. <laughs> and it was the most terrifying moment of my entire life. So, because oh, Go ahead. So what kind of led to the decision to move to L.A.? Um, so I went back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went back after, obviously at Christmas, I went back and I, I got, I just jumped in. Mm-hmm. I'm the type of personality. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to jump in a hundred percent. So I jumped in, uh, the next, the next, um, season, um, the theater arts society did uh, a midsummer night's dream. Mm-hmm. I got to play bottom in that. Nice. I would love to play bottom again in like 20 years when I actually fit it, but it just, it was my first time being kind of a lead of something, kind of serious in a way. Right. Um, I loved it. I then went into went over to Orlando, and I said, well, I'm going to learn how to act. And so there's a studio out there called Art Sake Studio, a woman named Yvonne Suhor, an actor who moved to Orlando. So it's a great, great studio. I, I became like a teacher's assistant there, and I just, I just worked my butt off and just got into the work. Mm-hmm. Like I became one of those actors who I am all about the work, right. uh, the craft. I was one of those guys. Still am, but I was... I was that guy you don't even want to talk to because I was right. so about the work. <laughs> yeah, and so I just – Orlando, it luckily, is a very, very, very good town to start acting mm. because you have University of Central Florida, you have Full Sail, and then you have Valencia, all mm. three which have phenomenal film programs. Right. And they always need actors to be in student films. So in my first year of being an actor, period, I did about 21 short films, student films, oh, cool. indie little feature things. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of name it, getting my first – um, on camera experience, I did the the Orlando Fringe Theater Festival. I got a little taste of it. So, long story short, in a year in Orlando, um, I just I worked my absolute butt off right. and worked and worked and worked. I was I kind of kind of had had started to to think about the West Coast. I never really pictured New York for some reason. Right. At least at that time in my life, right. I never did. Oh, you're, you're um, probably leaning more towards film. Towards like, film, I was in Florida, the beach, the palm trees. L.A. just seemed the most logical for some Transition reason. Fit. Yeah. So I went home one day. I, I was after school. I, I was I was staying back with my parents for there for about three months, and this was this was right after a shift, uh, like a morning. I worked in a, a Minchie's frozen yogurt. My uh, my family we uh, we owned and operated a couple of those uh, mm-hmm. in Orlando. Michael, can you go down the street and get us some Minchie's? It's it's right there. It's right there. <laughs> Fantastic. But but I'll please don't it. overload it because it is easy to go from awesome to a nightmare yeah. in one pump. Disagree. Like, disagree. I will. <laughs> Uh, so I'll take the uh, uh, Twix flavor that they have right now, and I'll Ooh. take the. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I I got kind of lucky because I don't ice cream is really hard for me to eat a lot of. Mm-hmm. So at Minchie's, you know, you can you can either get a little bit, mm-hmm. which is nice for a dollar, mm-hmm. or you can look down. All of a sudden, I'm spending ten dollars on right. frozen yogurt. So I was very lucky. I was always in that like two dollar range. Like give me some give me some like strawberry cheesecake ice cream or uh, yogurt. Throw some strawberries on a little gra- <laughs> cram cracker. Like I said, that's all I need. I'm good. So I'm not an overloader, but I feel you if you are. Ladies, he's not an overloader. Give him a call. Yep. I am just the right amount. 
So, full sail <laughs> Well, seeing as you're not a lady. But, yeah, so I was um, coming home from a shift at Menchie's uh, in my pink turtleneck shirt. Yep. I sat on the couch, and I turned on the TV. And, again, I remember this day as legitimately if it was yesterday. And um, David Letterman was on. A rerun of, of David Letterman was mm-hmm. on. And Amanda Seyfried was his guest. Okay. I don't know why any of this is important. I don't know why I remember it so vividly. Oh, yeah, we'll but, cut it out, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm watching this rerun of David Letterman and Amanda Seyfried is talking, and I just get hit with this, just this, like, truck of a feeling. Just this overwhelming, like, feeling in my entire body that, like, it's time to move to Los Angeles. There is no better way I can explain it than that. It just, something hit me like a wave, like an impulse almost as an actor's impulse on stage when you really feel like you should go move and do something. It was literally that. It was so strong that right. I had no choice but to feel it. Right. And um, I, I, I said, wow, okay. And so I didn't know what to do with that yet. And right. so about a week passed, and I just kind of kept living. And then all of a sudden, I had not told anyone, mm-hmm. even my parents, that I had had this kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And my dad calls me um, randomly one day, mm-hmm. just kind of out of nowhere. And he, he goes, are you ready to move to L.A.? I said, what? How did you know I was thinking? He goes, he goes. I mean, I figured, but he he says, are you like ready to like do it? I said, I mean, I maybe like what what why? He goes, because you have a cousin out there who had who told me he has a place where you could stay mm-hmm. and he has a job you could work if you want to move out there now. The the moment from that phone call from my dad to planning the trip mm-hmm. to me being on the road to me being in Los Angeles living here was a week and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was working at Halloween Horror Nights at the time, too. Mm-hmm. Our I, audience is very aware of Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I, I worked the Orlando Halloween Horror Nights. Uh. Yeah, I, I left for L.A. so quickly that I was leaving on a Saturday morning. I worked Halloween Horror Nights on a Friday night mm-hmm. in October. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, guys, I'm, I'm leaving. Like, the, something happened real quick, and I'm, I'm going out west. Like, I, I didn't even have time to say goodbye to mm-hmm. everyone I wanted to say goodbye to right. at Halloween Horror Nights. I, I, we left that Saturday morning. My mom made the drive with me. Uh, we drove across the country. And nice. um, funny story, oddly enough, in, in some weird, magical way, on the way out there, the job and the place I was going to stay both fell through. Of course they did. Of yeah. Of course so we 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 had one of those those um, satellite internet plug things that you can so you can drive you can right. be on the road and on the internet and so we had one of those and I'm, and I'm literally fishing on Craigslist <laughs> driving through you know trying to find Plano to Texas right. trying to find apartments in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and literally like hey mom this one you ever heard of Northridge? <laughs> like, they, like it's really close on the map. Like, I can't be far away. I'm sure I could live up there. It's like, it's like 20 minutes north of North. It's like an hour out of the city. Like, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm even looking right. at. You know, I've, n- I've never been to this. I've never even been to the city before. But it was, it was just the the absolute butt kick to to go. Right. It was the moment that I needed to say, "You are now moving in this direction." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was your first impressions of LA? Oh, it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> it was, you know, in Orlando, you have I four, and like a, a handful of other kind of major roads, but you right. have I four. LA, you have I four, which is like the ten, which goes into the one ten, which mm-hmm. goes into the one hundred one, which mm-hmm. goes over to the four hundred five, mm-hmm. which goes over to the one seven. I mean, there, there's there's just it's huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a it's, huge, entertaining. It's huge. Um, Highways. Yeah, you know, and 
in the beginning, you have no idea where anything is. You have no idea what's the part of town you feel like you should be in. What's the part of town where things happen, where people go, where, I mean, there's just, everyone is everywhere. I was just absolutely blown away by just the the, the, the vastness of LA. There is no, there are trees, but there is no area with trees. Right. Like there are trees in between alleyways. Right. Like everything is a building. We've talked about this, how it's, it's so everything's so close together, but everything is still so far apart mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yeah. It's crazy. To yeah. Me. Um, what would you say the biggest differences? I mean, you kind of talked about the highways, but mm-hmm. the biggest and especially in the, the culture and the, the feeling of it mm-hmm. between LA and Orlando. Well, Orlando's a really, when you live there long enough, you, you know how to avoid the touristy areas. Mm-hmm. You know that Disney Kissimmee is going to be busy. You know, I drive and universal is going to be busy and you know, certain pockets of downtown are going to be busy. Right. If you, if you know how to avoid those areas, Orlando is a super relaxed town. It's a vacation town. I mean, name anything you would ever do on a vacation, and it's a 15-minute drive yeah, from absolutely. you. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, a tourist, it's a tourist city. Yeah, it's the place where you go putt-putt when you're bored. Like, right. really, it, it is. You know, we used to go to – all of our friends worked at Disney growing up, so we'd go hang out at the parks. And there's this really strange sense of, like, you're always on vacation out there. There's mm-hmm. just – there's no there's no need for a grind. There's no need for a, a hustle. Right. You know, you just don't need it. You can Orlando is such a – a nice breezy relaxed town that LA just hit, hit me in the face very hard. Right. Yeah, what it means to survive a week in Los Angeles. Like it hit me very very <laughs> the difference quickly. Difference between the Orlando hustle and the Hollywood Oh, totally. Hustle. Yeah. The main I, but it also obviously just the 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 size of it. I'd say space-wise, Los Angeles is the size of of Orlando. Mm-hmm. But Orlando has lakes and little forested areas and areas with nothing of like pastures and stuff. So just fill all of that with people and traffic and, and buildings. buildings. Yeah. And I mean that's that's it. Maybe so, a pond here too. Maybe, but they're man-made. Yeah. yeah. Like, right, you know. Right. You well, know. I didn't say it was re- like yeah. right. <laughs> I didn't say like god made. No. <laughs> yeah. Um that's that was the main difference was just the it just it is if you've you've turned the knob up to 11. So you moved here. Mhm. Uh, you found a place to stay. Right. Yeah, I found a uh, an actors, dancers, artists house in North Hollywood. <laughs> nice. Um, four bedroom house off of, of like Tahunga and Oxnard area, North Hollywood, and sixteen people at one time living in this four bedroom oh, house. So in essence, a hostel. Right. In essence, much, but yeah. but very entertainment focused. Yeah. So people people stayed there longer than a hostel. You know, right. hostel people coming for a week or two or anything right. like that. You know, no, I stayed seven months in this house. Very much like a transition um, house. Yeah. Really. It really, really, really was. Um, but to be honest, you know, I didn't know anybody out here. Right. I didn't know a single person. I knew the closest family or anything I had out here or a connection or anything was we had a cousin. I have a an extended cousin through marriage, who is through that marriage. Um, related to my uncle, who okay. I see once a year. Gotcha. That's it. That was the deepest connection I had in this mm-hmm. entire city. So for me, this house was like a lifesaver. I'm sure. Because it was the first place that I could come to. I mean, there were actors in there. Everybody right. was kind of new and starting. I, I don't say this negatively, but like forced relationships also. Like yeah. You know, to get to know people and no, meet new people. No, totally. I mean, just it just forced me to, to learn the city. It forced me to, to go out and, and with, with people when, when they want to, hey, we're going to go check out some, some stuff over here. We're going to go check out North Hollywood. We're going to go check out 
LA. We're going to go check out like West Hollywood. We've never been to, like it kind of forced me to, to join and right. it forced me to learn the city. But get out of the house. Yeah, but you know, it, even North Hollywood has a different vibe than, than LA proper. So it was a great kind of escape. So I could come down into the city, mm-hmm. learn it, have the whirlwind of a day of like if I'm going to class or my, my work or anything like that. And then I take the train back up, and all of a sudden I'm in North Hollywood, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more residential, yeah, a little bit more, more relaxed. Yeah, so, a little yeah. bit more relaxed. So it was it was exactly what I needed when Absolutely. I first came out here. Very yeah. nice. What was uh What were your first steps when you came out here to kind of getting into the what your first steps to starting your hustle? I guess mm-hmm. that's what it said. I came out here with a very good hustle already. I because I, you know I was you know if if you're gonna be the guy of your groups who moves to L.A., you know that's a certain type of person. You know, that's the, that's the type of person who right. says, yeah, it's the type of person who says, I'm, no, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm serious about this. So I, I already, I had my headshots taken care of. I had, you know, I did 20 student films. So out of that, I had a, a two minute reel, you know, mm-hmm. I had some decent stuff, you know, no, no, no legitimate credits or anything, but I, I had a, I mean, you know, people oversell you on the business cards and all this. So I, I had my whole, I had postcards. I, I, I had a pretty good little like package of things. Right. So. I got a commercial agent really fast. Okay. Um, I got a commercial agent basically the first week I was here. Was that um, was that just sending out inqu- inquiries? Yeah. Or was so so I mean from the house one of the one of the girls who lived at the house was an actress and she sent me an email mm-hmm. of all the commercial agents who take online submissions. Mm-hmm. So I just e- emailed I don't know probably thirty agents mm-hmm. just what I had and and they were the one who basically called me in and and so I signed with okay. them pretty pretty quick. Nice. And then my my. My, my next logical step was I said I have to get into an acting class because I came from the studio in Orlando, and that right. was my home. Those were my people. So I said I have to find an acting class. And for me, the first one that I found was Elizabeth Mesnick, uh, Elizabeth Mesnick Acting Studio. At the time, she was on Santa Monica and Wilcox. Mike, she was uh, where the old Schkopf building was. Oh, yeah. She used to teach out of there. Okay. And so I went down, um, and I, you know, I had a little minute-and-a-half monologue basically auditioned for her scenes for her advanced scene study class and I got in and so that was kind of the beginning of my hustle was uh, Elizabeth Mesnick's scene study class she's Meisner based mm-hmm. she does a Meisner program it's like it's like a one or a two year program I believe but so I, I went right into to her um, scene study class Very nice. and um, you know met my first kind of really really head 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 down working on the craft actors right. yeah so then that was kind of my first Real steps. You, you came here prepared with headshots and postcards. And yeah, I would. I would it. say you know. I, I would say I came here more prepared than the average actor. Right. I think. Um, but you know, the average actor. You know, if you're not living in Orlando or a town where there is acting, you know, sometimes you just you don't get the chance. Right. So I think I just. I think I just took advantage of my situation in Orlando to right. the fullest extent, and then that prepared me enough. Now, as we've we've talked a lot on this podcast about it, is that it, you know LA can become kind of lonely mm-hmm. and, and hard to deal with, and mm-hmm. hard to, to. There's many moments of should I just go back home? Is this worth it? Uh, obviously, you said you didn't really have any like relationships here when mm-hmm. you moved here. How did you get through those times when maybe you doubted yourself yeah. or had um, some kind of obstacles that really hit you? Uh, here in LA. Yeah, it was it was hard. It was very very hard. I would say, to be honest, it probably took me about two and a half years to really find my people, mm-hmm. for it to really start to feel like home in any way. So the beginning year, even though living in a house with sixteen people, um, it helped a lot. It really really helped a lot. But I just I just kind of dealt with it. I don't know. I guess just the only way 
that you can. You just you just say, I'm sacrificing to focus on something. Right. So I kind of buried myself in the work. Right. I kind of I kind of said, yeah, I'm here to to live and to be a human and to meet people and to to live my life, but. I mean, I'm, I'm here to, to learn, right. and I'm here to work, and I'm here to grow. I'm here to learn what it's like to be an actor. So you kind of just made the focusing. Kind yeah, of I based. Yeah, that. I basically just focused any of that energy and put it into into the work, and that 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 gave me a really good outlet to at least at that time to to not distract me from what I was trying to do. So obviously, we talked discussed earlier that you've done some theater here in LA, uh, No Homo, and. Uh, the world wrong. Uh, sorry, the what's wrong with angry? Mm-hmm. What what would you say the benefits of doing theater in LA here? Uh, and, you know, especially in a place that's very much known for film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you? What would you say the benefits? I mean, if I could just tell you a story, yeah. Then to me, I think that's the best way I could ever describe it. Yeah, absolutely. One day, I was I was at this actor's house with sixteen people, and I was like, okay, I'm in a class. I have a commercial agent. Like things are going well. Now, what's my logical next step? And my next step was to, okay, let's see how casting works in film and TV. Like, really? Mm-hmm. And I went on Backstage.com, and I saw a video that uh, was featuring April Webster. And they were talking to April Webster about Star Trek. The new, it was the first new Star Trek. And they were asking her, how did you cast Chris Pine as Captain Kirk? And she said, Chris Pine did a show for me that I directed at the Young Playwrights Festival at the Blank Theater Company. The next day, I called the Blank Theater Company. And that weekend, I became a volunteer oh, nice. at the Very Blank cool. Theater Company. Yeah, that was kind of my first in in anywhere. It was literally a box office volunteer. I showed up in my, you know, what I thought was my trendy L.A. shirt and tie. I had my belt on. You know, you know, I I was a theater guy. You know, I I just I felt really good about it. But and this this cannot be overstated. I didn't show up and expect anything. I showed up and worked my butt off. I, I offered to, to vacuum the whole theater. I, I learned very quickly. I paid attention when they told me to do things. I, and kind of through this, within a couple of weeks, I had met the like, creative um, team. I met the artistic director. I met the, the business guys of it. So I kind of met the whole blank team. And so long story short, we did this show. The very next show they were doing had a couple of kind of named actors in it. And um, they asked me if I wanted to be a, a little associate producer, basically a, a fancy name for a, a, an assistant, basically a, a PA, if, if, if you will. And um, again, for, for free, no, no nothing, totally volunteer. And uh, I said, oh, well, of course, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm meeting people. Like, this was a great, again, it was, LA's tough, and anytime you can find a little community of people, like, yeah, those are your people until, until you, they're not anymore. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and so... There was a, a specific actor uh, in this show who had a method of learning lines where you you would go teach, someone would go teach him the lines. Right. Like he 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 never he didn't he didn't want to necessarily read the script and memorize words on a page. He wanted to more organically hear the script. Right. Interesting method, but the guy who was going over there and doing that with them, they just kept butting heads, and so they I have a, a I'm kind of a calming presence to a lot of stressed out people right and so they said hey aj why don't you seem why don't you go over there and try to, to do this with them and eventually it just kind of clicked mm-hmm. it just kind of clicked and and i worked with this guy for for a long time um about three weeks working on the script so because of this i knew the whole script right and since i knew the whole script i started going to uh, understudy rehearsals oh nice and i was acting with them like in the actual rehearsals so because of that the assistant director is watching me act now going oh he's actually acting like he actually knows this whole show right so long story short, the run goes, it goes fine. They have a two-week extension. 
the one guy with the one role that I fit cannot do the extension. The one guy who is his understudy has booked a different show, cannot do the extension. So I get asked, because I know the entire show word for word, right. do you want to go on and do the extension? So I got to go on and do this show for two weeks with these pretty well-known actors kind of at this point. It was awesome. And legitimately because of that show, the director of that show appreciated what I did so much that he called me in for his next show, which happened to be What's Wrong With Angry. And I would never, I would never have gotten What's Wrong With Angry if I had not called the Blank Theater Company because I watched a backstage video. Mm -hmm. There's no way. I wouldn't have even known about it. But the reason I bring up What's Wrong With Angry is because my manager, Gail Tassel, saw me in What's Wrong With Angry in 2012. She's based out of Atlanta, and she is the entire reason that I am in Atlanta right now. So it is, in a sense, what is the benefit of doing theater, A, besides learning how to act and all of the great actors of all time, you know, save Leo DiCaprio, have come from the theater. And to me, it's just by far the best training ground. I think good actors do theater Actors who work forever do theater. And just the besides the fact of it's a community that you can really connect to and grab and learn in a, in a very me, me, me type of career. Um, besides all of those benefits, I would not be in Atlanta doing film and TV What's work. That? You never know who's in the audience. Legitimately. I would not be in Atlanta right now if I did not do What's Wrong With Angry. Right. Because of theater in L.A. That's 100%. Yeah. Now, for a little bit, you moved down to San Diego. I did, from yeah. LA. Um, and that when was the moment of, you know, I need to go to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. like what, so, what so what's that? wrong with angry was 2012, mm -hmm. did a lot of theater in 20, no, what's wrong with angry? it was 2011. Wow. 2012 was a, a growing year for me. Did a lot of studying. 2013 did a lot of theater. Uh, 2014, obviously no homo. You guys have talked about no homo. It was kind of the year of no homo. Right. And then 2015 rolls around. I did one, two, three, four shows. And then, you know, kind of worked my way up the theater world booked my shows at the Signet Theater in San Diego. So I'm, I'm doing my shows in, in, in Signet. So as an, you know, as an actor in, in a play, you kind of reach that moment like two weeks into the run where you don't have to think about the blocking anymore. You don't have to think about your choices. There's really nothing new to learn until you're actually physically in the moment with the person on stage living. Right. There's really not much more research you can do. There's not much more else that's going to help you. Right. So once that moment hits, that's when I freak out because I immediately go, well, I guess I'm unemployed now because this is ending and what am I going to do next? So I kind of reached that moment. You know, I was in San Diego for a three-month-ish contract. My whole, my whole life was packed up into a couple suitcases and I kind of had it. I just, I just had a choice to make. I was like, I've kind of reached a good level of theater. Mm -hmm. But what kind of woke me up was um, Center Theater Group had a round of auditions, and I fit one role in the whole season at Center Theater Group, and that kind of dawned on me. You know, you would, you know, everyone's a different type, and so for my type, what I look like and who I am and what I sound like and all of that. I'm going to fit in the age I was. I'm as a as a kind of mid twenties guy. I was like, I'm going to fit one role in every regional theater season in the entire country. And that role is probably going to go to somebody who's been on TV mm -hmm. or it's going to go to somebody who's grown up at Utah Shakes right. or has grown up with the Arizona Theater Company. Like it's going to go to that guy who has been a kid actor with them forever and mm -hmm. is now still there. And so, because I, I don't sing and dance. And so I'm like, I'm not about to go book a, a national tour. I'm, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go tour rent. You know, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to, roles for at least for me for the next couple of years are going to be kind of thin in theater. I'll probably, I could probably get some if I just work tirelessly, 
but it just didn't feel right for some reason. Mm -hmm. Going back to L.A. and kind of going through all that just didn't kind of feel right. Another big catalyst of it was right before I went to San Diego, I was dropped by my manager because I fall into cracks of a lot of different types. Right. Um, if you need a guy who is any specific type, that there's a person out there who looks it more than me. Right. Um, I can swing anything, but there are just people who are naturally more anything you can imagine than me. Right. I mean, in 2014, I had one TV audition the entire year mm -hmm. with a manager. In, in Los Angeles. So it was, I just could not get an audition to save my life. So the idea of, because San Diego was such a fun, beautiful experience, the idea of going back out to LA and trying to get a new manager, trying to get an agent again, trying to do this, once I felt like going back and working at my bar, it just, just sounded awful. Just It just really sounded... I just don't want to do that anymore. Right. It's not that I don't want to act anymore. It's just like I don't want to do that for some reason. And it just really bummed me out. It really bummed me out that I didn't want to go back home, you know? Right. I didn't want to go to this place where I dreamed of always coming from, from the moment I wanted to do this. And so I called my manager. I called Gail. Gail's based out of Atlanta. At this point, I've been signed with her since 2012. So at this point... I say I had been dropped by a manager that was a, a different person. So, because yeah, Gail was based out of Atlanta, so she was always kind of on my team, but nah, never really officially. Like it was just kind of right. she was out there and helped me out with stuff. But so I called Gail and I and I said, Gail, I just don't know what to do. I just need to talk to somebody. I I, I don't. I'm having fun here. I love this, but like it's gonna be over in a month, and I I I'm not sure what to do. Do I want to focus on film and TV? Because I really haven't. It's been hard to find an agent. It's been hard to find a manager. It's just it's just been hard. She goes, just super casually, come out to Atlanta. I said, really? I never thought about it. She's like, yeah, come out. She goes, your type is crazy out here right now. She goes, guys, your age, your type, like, like they need you out here. She goes, you'll book. You'll work all the time. It'll be great. I really think you'll excel out here. Just like moving from... Orlando to LA, that like rush that I got from that, same thing hit me when I started thinking about Atlanta. A, because I had a little bit of ties to it just from growing up a little bit earlier. B, just the idea of that next adventure. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not necessarily going back and just trudging through the same swamp. Like I'm, this is a new place that I get to go and explore and, and, and uh, discover and try and conquer in a sense. Right. So that to me was very, very appealing. And so the, the show closed um, in San Diego. I came back up here uh, to LA for three days, packed some stuff up, and then uh, drove back across the country oh, to wow. Atlanta. And that was November of uh, 2015. Right, wow. Yeah. What was your first impressions of Atlanta? It was, it was kind of deja vu, but in a weird, strange kind of way. Cause like I had lived there growing up, but I was a really young kid and I never went into the city. Right. You know, if you're, if I was in, kindergarten so you, there's no reason to go into the city as a kindergartner if you live in the suburbs so I remember Dunwoody that's what I remembered right. um, I didn't remember Atlanta so kind of re-seeing Dunwoody re-seeing Atlanta I, I saw the really famous places that I remembered but then immediately the city you, you you still have that mental map in your head but then all of a sudden the mental map just kind of expanded and growing in a way I had no idea so my first reaction, I mean, the, the, I was like, this city surprised me. I thought it was going to be quaint and small and, and kind of slow-paced and just, you know, just kind of, you know, hot and, and financially and, and just kind of whitewashed and right. just, just kind of, you know, just kind of typical and, and nothing too interesting for me. But it, it really kind of blew me away with the different 
neighborhoods and the different just groups of people who are out there and what people are doing out there and it and how welcoming people are it just blew me away it really right. it really did so i think atlanta is a is a really 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 fun town right i really enjoy being in atlanta i really do nice mm-hmm. very cool what, what were some of the adjustments you had to get used to moving mm-hmm. out there obviously you know uh, was there a different way things ran <laughs> it's it's kind of like the counter of adjusting to la the pace of la mm-hmm. and the, the 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 way la works it's the exact opposite so you know in la if you go to leslie Kahn, you know you got to fight traffic at hollywood and la brea you know you've got to get in there and, and, and you find a parking space and there's there's people honking and there's helicopters flying over you and you got to focus you can get in there and do your work you can get in there and, and do a scene you know I, I i went to an acting class in marietta georgia <laughs> Marietta's, you know, a tiny little mm-hmm. suburb outside of Atlanta. You just park across the street at the dentist office that no right. one's using. There's no nothing nowhere. Right. So it's just like a, it's just a 180 shift of pace. Mm-hmm. Now, there's parts of Atlanta that are very busy. People in Atlanta complain about the traffic. There are moments when Atlanta traffic is bad mm-hmm. and when, when it feels crowded. But just on the whole, it's, no, not, there's no comparison. <laughs> not close. Yeah, there's no comparison whatsoever. No. So uh, you did. You got some auditions while you were out there. So what happened? So I talk about that class in Marietta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. So what, what was funny is is you know, when you make a big choice like that, right. when you when you literally because how many people move away from Los Angeles and you never hear from them again? You know how many people say, you know, I think I'm just gonna go home. I think I'm just gonna try something else. I think I'm just gonna go. 100 percent nothing wrong with that. But usually, typically, when you hear about people leaving L.A. It's because they're leaving because they're ready to do something else. So they're wanting to go home, basically. To justify myself making a move like that, I really needed to that feeling for me that, like, I'm in the right place. That, like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, I lived in Park La Brea for three years. And I moved from there into, like, a little wooded apartment across from a park. And there's trees everywhere. Like, it's just a different vibe. And so you kind of wake up some mornings with that, like, where am I? kind of mm-hmm. thing like why, why am I here again what what in the world is going on but so I this is one of the most Hollywood quote-unquote Hollywood moments of my entire life so mm-hmm. I'm going to this acting class in Marietta it's right. it's it's called the booking room it's much it's much more like a group of actors put together this class with each other so it's not necessarily someone teaching it but um it costs you like five bucks a week. Totally. Yeah. It's at a cool studio in Marietta. You know, we do audition stuff and, and scene study, improv, kind of whatever they, whatever they're feeling. You know, I'm, I'm very new to the group. I think, I think it's only my second or third week there. And there's a girl who walks up and, and she goes, Hey guys, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm doing a, um, a monologue for um, Yale MFA. She goes, so I, want, I just want your guys' feedback. You can be brutally honest with me, please. I'm not sensitive at all to, like, feedback. Please give me what you have. Right. And, um, and so I'm like, okay. And, you know, I've done enough theater. I've worked with Juilliard kids and Tisch kids and Yale kids. So I've, I've seen their level. And, and you're like, yeah, well, obviously, yeah. They're, most of the time, they're phenomenal. Right. So I, I, it, was, it was from uh, one of the Shakespeare's. I can't remember what it was from. But she was kind of playing a, a queen character. Right. And you could tell it was one, like one of the first few times in a while she had really run through it. You know, right. it wasn't it wasn't wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. it was good. And so I expected people to be you know open with her and say, I think I could use a little more, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. She just she wasn't getting that, and that's the main difference. 
is in Atlanta, people are still very genteel, and they're mm-hmm. still very. I think you're in a really good place with it. I I really enjoyed it. I think yeah. I think you should yeah keep working. I think you're in a really really nice you're spot. Critique, but in a nice way where it doesn't sound like you're giving them actual critiques. Yes, called called not critiquing, yeah, called yeah. not saying yeah, anything. You know, that was what you did. Yeah, you called did that, and it happened, and um and we're here seeing it. Yeah, you know, it, like like when someone says a critique of like I really enjoyed it. Thank you. That's the main difference. And so I'm just like the um, the guy who owned the studio stepped up to say something. And I'm like, okay, good. He, he'll actually give her some yeah. – he, he has the legality to give her some real right. criticism. And again, this, none of this is a big deal. She just said that she was doing Yale. So I was like, oh, I really want this girl to, to do well. Yeah. You know, this, this so would be awesome. Real stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so he – and he raises his hand and he goes – you know what? I think it was really powerful. I think you're in a really good spot with it and really keep keep working on it in that direction. And I go, and she's like, oh, thank you. Okay. Well, so I, I raise my hand and I'm like, I'm sorry. She's just not getting feedback. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm here I am, this dude from L.A. who is in the middle of Marietta, wow, Georgia. Being the L.A. guy. Coming in. And I, and I raised my hand and I, I legitimately said, I said, so you wanted us to be brutally honest, so I'll be brutally honest with you. You're supposed to be playing like a queen royalty in this. Your believability of like an actual person of power was at like a five to me. And to me, that's just not Yale yet. And she like backs up against the wall and she's like, oh, okay. Well, if, if, if you're going to critique, you know, you, you, can, you can do it like nicely. And, so, and I, said, I said, I'm sorry, but like you said, you said you're not sensitive. You said to be brutally honest. So I apologize if, if that like is offensive or in, in any way. But I'm just saying this is to me, this, 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 this is what it kind of lacked for me. Mm-hmm. And she goes... You do a lot of theater, don't you? I go, I've done a lot of theater. And she goes, okay, we're going to go work on this. <laughs> so we go in the back of this little studio. We work on our monologue for like 20 minutes. And she comes back out and she does it again. And it's, I, I take zero credit for it. I think it's just because it was the first time she had done it. So she just needed to work on it, right. you know? So I don't think, I, I did not change her or anything. But she just, we worked on it together. And she went back out and did it. And she was phenomenal she was great and it was powerful and moving and it had layers and layers of things she was feeling and trying Mm -hmm. to say and communicate people in class like stood up and like clapped for her and Mm -hmm. it was like yeah that's it right there Mm -hmm. it was great so long story short she she wanted to say thank you she really appreciated that i took the time with her um so she happened to be the associate casting director at tyler perry studios is this girl so she wanted to say thank you and she did by bringing me in for a meeting with Raven Drummer, who is the head casting director at Tyler Perry Studios. Mm. And a week later, they cast me in my first SAG guest star spot of my entire life. Very nice. Legitimately because I pooped on her monologue in Marietta, Georgia, I am all of a sudden on set of my first SAG TV show. What, what part did you play? Um, I, played, <laughs> I played the role of Country Boy. In an episode called Rusty's Brand of Justice if on loving If wrong. Loving You Is Wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just 100% just shouted from a boat. That's <laughs> literally what I did. But it was my I, first one. Did this also help you get being Mary Jane? Is this kind of... So so this... So the very next day after I booked it, mm-hmm. I, I got my agent. Because the girl I had helped who had helped me get... Tyler Perry, she she said, who, who, who are you looking for to like to like sign with? I said, Gail had mentioned a couple different people. She's like, oh, yeah, we know Gina. Uh, my agent's name is Gina in my talent. And she goes, we know Gina real well. Send us your stuff. So Gina called me the next day and said, hey, let, let's do it. Very she said, I don't need to see it. Like, 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 let's, let's, let's do it. So I trusted Gail, and then I trusted like, yeah, this girl that helped me. And um, I was like, okay. So that 
happened. Um, getting getting Gina happened, and since then in 2016, I just started auditioning like crazy mm-hmm. for 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 everything, for everything that went through town that I fit. I just I started auditioning for it, and um, Being Mary Jane happened more towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Being Mary Jane was kind of an otherworldly experience, right? Otherworldly experience, mostly because it's a BET show. Right. Atlanta is very predominantly African American. I'm one of two or three white people I've seen on the entire set and we're shooting on election day and the day after election day. So I am sitting legitimately like in the makeup chair. I'm the only white person in the entire room while like Hillary Clinton's giving her concession speech and things like that. It was, it was a otherworldly experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were the greatest crew. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just, it was, it was my biggest show I had ever worked on mm. um, so the experience was just, I mean it was it was phenomenal yeah we have a I've friend of the show Kim Whalen who had a reoccurring role mm-hmm. uh, for a few episodes nice uh, on that show uh, I believe she played Ava Ava the character she played I don't know if she you know played. what season uh, it was last season last the season previous season okay that. Uh, yeah she played a reoccurring role that she doesn't from what she told me, she's she's not aware she's going back, but she did a great job. Uh huh. <laughs> so nice. Met her while I'm you sure. were. Uh, uh, no, so. I I didn't okay. know ours because because um, Kimberly Whalen. I'm not sure which Kimberly. one she went by. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. Gabrielle Union's character, uh, Mary Jane. She she lives in New York in the in the episode mm-hmm. in, in the season right now, and so in our episode, she specifically comes back to Atlanta oh, for okay. something. Okay. So the only, really, the only way that that we would see any recurring characters as if she comes back she, to she, Atlanta. She, with her. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> she, she yeah. How's Gabrielle Union? She was she was so sweet to us. Mm-hmm. Um she was incredibly, incredibly sweet to us. And she she has a photographic memory. So you could tell wow. that she has a lot of different things on, on her plate Rattle and going fires. on. And so she would come out when they would call first team and she would kind of breeze through the scene. Um, and go okay, 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 kind of like almost as if it was the first time she was reading it, mm-hmm. and then she go okay, and then we we do a, a rehearsal, we do a blocking rehearsal, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they'd fly in second team, she'd go back kind of away, and you're like, I really hope she knows the scene, <laughs> I really hope she knows where we're at right now, right. and she'd come back out and she has photographic memory, she'd come back yeah, out and, awesome. and do the scene as if she had written it, you know. I watched your reel. And uh-huh. I know you have scenes on there from mm-hmm. there, and I feel like almost every and give me if I'm wrong, uh-huh. but it seems like almost every scene, at least in your reel, is you enter the scene in some sort of frantic, like whoa, 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 like mm-hmm. every, almost every scene, and I I thought it was great. Uh-huh. I you were so well, it, what you that. know what's what's funny is is for BET having a gay character mm-hmm. is 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 tough. Right. You know, it's 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 a it's a tricky situation mm-hmm. for for BET. And so I think the whole reason I booked it is because, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, in Orlando entertainment around around Disney and Universal around dancers and a lot of time in LA doing um shows at gay theaters and just being around the environment. Right. I just I know how to play a gay man right. and not show up and go, "Hey, yeah, you know, like I can Yeah, I can Yeah, character. exactly. I can play a man mm-hmm. who is just a human. Mm-hmm. Who happens to be homosexual, yeah. like like, and that's You're what I. A normal that, person who just loves a guy. Legitimately, and so I can walk, and I walked into the room, and I just did that, and and um, I think that's why I ended up booking it nice. was because I I didn't play anything gay, I right. just played the guy, yeah. and and so, but I think it's a very fun flavor 
for the show. No, it's fun. It was um, it was great. It added you definitely added some energy to the scene. Yeah, because you know sure. you know the guys are they're all super super ripped and they're brooding, really mm-hmm. deep voiced. Um, really handsome, just leading men, mm. and there I come, just kind of with like these little fun little uh. quips all the time, you know. So I would, I mean, just like any actor, like I would love to go back. Right. I, I think I'd be a fun kind of track of a character to add to the show. <laughs> your, your character moves to New York, looking for. A I new mean, day. right? Yeah, yeah, I'm just a, 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 a Luke. Luke is a go getter. Luke <laughs> is a go getter. That's it. So let's uh, let's talk about what you have coming up. Uh, sure. Uh, you have a thing called Project Isisix. I six. It's it's. Is it six? It's a. I know they were shooting a a pitch pilot for it. Mm-hmm. It so, was fun. So it's a TV series, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was a I think it was a TV series. Mm-hmm. I think they had had like Netflixy interest in it or some some gotcha. form of that. Right. So I got to, got to play a soldier. Oh, I got fun. to play a, a, a yeah like a like a, a Delta Force Ooh. operator, which Ooh. was which was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, anytime you get to do something kind of real like that, yeah. And you also have, I think, uh, Freeman Jones. Yeah, you, so... You have a pilot for, uh, which I watched mm-hmm. uh, recently. Uh, how did that come about? So, in a in a really, really organic, weird, strange way. So, um, there's a there's a friend of mine I made in Atlanta. He's a uh, He's got a pretty good... Um, he came from Vine. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he does, like, funny little quick videos. And he grew massively on Vine when Vine got big. Mm-hmm. Well, since Vine's done, he transferred to Instagram. So he still shoots videos the same kind of way. And um, I did a couple videos with him as a, as an Uber driver, like a, like a crazy Uber driver. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fun. It was the first time I had done, like, sketch anything since, right. like, college, basically. And I was like, oh, these are fun. And we, we, we clicked really well together. And, he, I mean, he, he was a black guy. Um, but we don't, we weren't, we weren't focused on any of that yet. He oh, just, he just happened to be a black guy. Yeah. And so we, we just really worked well together. I'm like, dude, like, what if I like write some sketches and like, like, would you want to shoot some? And he's like, yeah, I would love it. But I, I was like, but there's so much happening in our world right now, especially like race related. Like, what if we, what if we try and play on that? Like, what if we try and, what if we try and approach it from a funny standpoint and bring, bring both of our perspectives into it and just kind of kind of make fun of everything and, and laugh with each other. And he was right. like, I, I get down with that. And he's like, I, I could kind of like that. So, you know, as such is in the acting produ- produ- production world of any kind, when someone says they're going to do something, 99% of times they don't do it. Right. No, absolutely. You know, yeah. I'm going to yeah, come, yeah, well, I'm going to come to your show. I'm going to send you that script. I'm going to forward your stuff to somebody. We all know how that goes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I pitched him the the idea of these sketches, and he's like, "Sure, that sounds great." I don't totally bet you he went home and didn't think twice about it. Well, I came back to him three days later with eighty pages worth of sketch, and the look on his face I will never forget when I when I basically put down a feature film's worth of sketch, and he goes, "He's a really funny guy, mm-hmm. very new actor. He had just started to get into like real acting, because right. um, he was always just kind of doing his own little um, social media videos." Yeah. Um, so you could just tell that this was a lot mm-hmm. to like memorize and just work on. And just, just the idea of it was kind of daunting to him. Right. I, I, I could tell that. Long story short, I, ha- I found a girl who wanted to produce it mm-hmm. with us and, and start working on it with us. Um, my manager thought it was a phenomenal idea and wants us to really go for it. She thought the sketches were funny and kind of had a little bit of a voice to them. And, and we're, we're saying some things. And um, so enough, enough people said this was a good idea. 
that even though the guy didn't want to really do them with me, my manager basically said, no, you still need to do this. We're going to find you a new partner. Right. And so that's how I ended up really meeting Tyshawn. Right. Uh, Tyshawn Freeman of Freeman Jones. Mm-hmm. And um, I met Tyshawn kind of through that actors group in Marietta, the booking room. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had never really talked to him. And right. so we met up and we, we read through five of the sketches and um, he just, he got them and he thought they were funny and he, he loved, he had ideas. He was, he was the... The really the only guy I sat down with who was really bringing ideas to it. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do that. I was like, yeah, okay, good. I like this. Um, so we start. I, I ended up moving forward with with Tyshawn. We we found um, our producer dropped out, but we ended up finding another uh, a new couple who were starting a production company who wanted this to be their first project. Really, that they that they jumped on board with. Right. And um, we're like, cool, you know, we're going to shoot some sketches. It's going to be fun. So we ended up kind of budgeting out that we could shoot two sketches, mm-hmm. kind of legitimately. Right. Um, we could really crappily shoot five, but we can really make two look awesome. Right. So that's what we did. So we um, we brought on our, our director. His name is Brian Tan. Brian, I think he's a genius in, like, I'm one of those people who does not use that word. Right. But, like, I think he's a genius. But his his directing vision and his eye and his style, they are just, I have not seen anybody that I've ever known personally right. who I think is better. Awesome. Um, it is unbelievable to me what, nice. what he does. And um, we had one sketch in, in the pilot specifically that needed an eye. Mm-hmm. Like, it needed, like, half of the... Half the sketch is the filmmaking. Right. Um, you know, it's a it's the whole satire is playing off of like a Walking Dead episode or like a or like yeah, like a thriller yeah. movie mm-hmm. basically. Like it's just the reason why everything is scary to us. That is what makes it funny. Right. But we have to believe the the environment. We have to believe the world, and that takes a really good director to understand that mm-hmm. and be able to pull that off. And right. um, we knew Brian was the perfect guy for it. So again, you know, we we thought they were going to look cool. We did not expect them to look like a TV show. Like we right. thought they were going to look cool. Well, Brian got us in touch with a DP named Josh Sademan. Josh Sademan is a phenomenal just incredibly good dp in atlanta i mean the guy is just so good and he all of a sudden loved the idea and jumped on board with us at a crazy low rate for what he really usually works on in atlanta's like that sometimes people in atlanta just want to work but long story short we we scheduled three days to to shoot this these two sketches i thought we were just going to shoot a couple sketches going to be fun and i show up on the first day of set and Josh has brought 20 people onto set to help us build this house, this this like horror thriller sketch house. And I I was blown away. I, I couldn't believe it. It was 20 people of his close friends who just wanted to work and have so and were free and yeah. were free that weekend. And before I'm mean, I'm like we have a set. Like this is a set. we had we had 35 people with cast on on set. Right. I'm like this is unbelievable. Right. All these people who just came out to help us, and that, I mean, it, that's in Atlanta right now. Mm-hmm. Is this that that community of people who just want to help and want to work on stuff? So, before we know it, I realize we're shooting on a Sony FS7, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a, a lower end TV camera. Right. It. I mean, and in bet- between Josh and Brian, I mean, I mean, it looks like Stranger Things. No, it looks great. Like it looks unbelievable mm-hmm. for what for what I imagined. We I thought we would shoot it on a 5D. You know, right. like for. And then to get what it looks like now, we're just like, we, we were just blown away, but I couldn't believe it. So we were like, we should really pitch this thing. Like, mm-hmm. we should really talk about this or, or, or use this thing for something. So right. we ended up, that's how we ended up coming up with the cutscenes, mm-hmm. kind of this through line story. Yeah. Right. 
to connect the the sketches, mm-hmm. and that's how the whole idea of like the pilot even happened. Right. We didn't write it thinking we had a pilot. We yeah no, we wrote it as a couple sketches, right. and it just looked too good, right. and it came out too funny and too good mm-hmm. to say we these are just plain sketches on their own. So that's kind of how the whole pilot right. even happened. It, remind, it reminds me a lot of Key and Peele, a yeah, little, just in the sense of how it tackles race and, and mm-hmm. that that I'm not parodying it, but like mm-hmm. using that as a way to get yeah. that topic to, to have fun. Yeah, and I mean, we, we you know, there's so much happening in the world that I don't even need to go into because you all already know about it. And it's just like as a performer, mm-hmm. as a writer, how how can you help? How right. can you do anything? Right. And for, for Tyshawn and I, we sat down and had that conversation and we went, I think one of the best things that we can do is just kind of create a show, sure, but see if we can create an energy, a space where people can watch this from anywhere in the world, from any different point of view, where they can watch this thing and go, oh, I'm a part of a larger conversation. Right. Just bring up talking points, bring people together, let people know it's okay to laugh at each other, it's okay to laugh together, to kind of do that together. Mm-hmm. That's what Tyshawn and I kind of thought was the best way we could do anything mm-hmm. to help. And we just love sketch. We right. just we just we like being funny. So that awesome. was that was kind of how that a whole thing even started. The That's whole funny. pilot idea. What yeah. are you looking? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing by, mm-hmm. by now it's probably at least somewhere online uh, for, mm-hmm. you, for you guys around the time that the show that this episode's released. Yeah, when this episode releases. Um, so at the time that I'm talking about it right now, mm-hmm. um, we're getting it scored. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is the end of summer to have it um, totally set and ready to go. Uh, we'll probably do a um, like a like a nice um, kind of premiere-ish film right. festival-ish type of night with uh, some other filmmakers in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then the idea is just to we're probably gonna go into just the festival route right. and just see if if anyone enjoys us right. and enjoys the idea of it um, and just enjoys the story of it um, right. as well because there's kind of a, a roommate through line yeah. story that I think makes it, it's been a lot of fun. Really special. Yeah. So at the time that this this comes out, the sketches may be uh, online individually. Right. You can check out uh, on and YouTube. We'll keep, we'll keep everybody updated if it does happen. Cool. Yeah, like that, it, sure. it's uh, Freeman Jones TV. Okay. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube, nice. Facebook. Yeah. So uh, just kind of wind down. Mm-hmm. Do, is there any advice that for those listening out there for that are thinking about moving to LA or mm-hmm. uh, uh, moving? Yeah, out to to Atlanta. Uh, any advice for surviving those markets that you would give to them? Yeah, it is it is a it is a shift in your world when you change cities like that. Coming from LA to Atlanta, when you have lived in a city that is so hard to live in, you just you still have that natural instinct in you. A good handful of Atlanta actors, you know, they'll get sent an audition on Monday. And they're going to self-tape it. So they'll go, okay, when's the deadline? Thursday? Okay. Okay, I'll shoot this on Wednesday. Okay, yeah, I can get that done then because I work these couple days. Me, coming from the nonstop of L.A., I go, as soon as I get it, how many pages is it? Six? Okay, I can do that in an hour. Okay, hey, can you come over and shoot this in an hour? <laughs> I don't. I do not even look at deadlines. Right, you when you get sent an audition, done. the deadline means nothing. Yeah. This is done today. And those are the people in Atlanta who book. Because in Atlanta right now, it is not about who sends in the best audition. Mm-hmm. It is about who sends in a good enough audition the quickest. Mm-hmm. And can you be that person? People go, how do I make my agency happy? How do I make my agent like me? 
get your auditions in within an hour or two of getting them. Mm-hmm. You will become your agent's favorite actor. Absolutely. If they never once have to think about you getting an audition in, mm-hmm. that is just a number one. And then just obviously just find your find your community, mm-hmm. find your people. You know, it's so easy, especially going from LA to to a town like, like Atlanta, it's very easy to 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 land and go. I'm the LA guy. I'm good. Nah, I don't need your guys' help. I don't need your thing. I'm the LA guy. I've done that. I've been there. And just to remember to to be a person, right? To be still, just be a human. You are no further in your humanity mm-hmm. than anybody else. No, absolutely. And so you are never too good for help. You're right. never too good to to not listen to someone's opinion. That is is a big big adjustment because there are a lot of people in Atlanta who are very very new, but Bad actors think they're done learning. Mm-hmm. You can always learn something from any situation you're ever in. And it's the people who work for their, their entire lives who never stop learning. Right. And who, are, who, who aren't okay thinking that they know everything. I, I think that answers my next question about advice for just creatives in general. Yeah. Uh, right there. Um, uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I can go a little bit deeper than that. For me, you know, I needed, from the acting perspective, you know, we're taught to trust our instincts. We're taught to... When you feel like you need to move this way, then you know what? Move this way. Feel what that feels like. If you feel like you need to raise your voice, raise your voice. We'll bring it down if we need to. When you're taught acting, you're taught to trust your instincts. Our entire career is based off of instincts. Well, I believe full-heartedly that we get those same instincts just in life, in general. And if you don't listen to them, then you are missing the exact same impulses that you get as an actor. Like my impulse to move to LA, my impulse that something was wrong and now I ended up in Atlanta. Right. Um, my impulse to call backstage mm-hmm. uh, or call the blank theater company. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone thinks that opportunities look like themselves, and they very rarely do. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't even know that opportunity, what opportunities look like. Right. Because a lot of people think they're going to look like a, a golden corral buffet, mm-hmm. and they just they they don't. Mm-hmm. Opportunities have to be created, yeah. and um, so for creatives in general, find find your Atlanta. Like right. for me, I reached a moment where I had to go and do something. I had to focus and change my shift. Mm-hmm. I had to look in a different direction than I never thought I would. Right, and I feel like everyone hits that moment in some way. And it doesn't necessarily mean move to Atlanta, but mm-hmm. I think everyone has some th- something or place that is meant for them that maybe they don't even know exists yet. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about Freeman Jones. Is there anything else coming up that you want to promote or you want to talk about? I'm really hoping to hear back from the History Channel. Mm-hmm. We, I did. Uh, they're doing a a show based off of the uh, an award-winning book called The Liberator about uh, Captain Felix Sparks in World War II. Mm-hmm awesome awesome story you know mm-hmm. think band of brothers right. um that that idea of a story mm-hmm. um just a phenomenal phenomenal um american war hero and um uh, i got to play him oh, in nice. a in a test shoot for the history channel because they are they're experimenting with a half um animated half live action um version of a show right. so think basically think of like sin city mm-hmm. that kind of idea yeah. but of world war Two. okay yeah cool. so so that's what they're kind of thinking um so i got to play felix sparks in that nice so by this time this comes out there might be some announcements about that would be a history channel updated. so yeah keep awesome. keep anybody updated and... is there a, where can people find you 
if, um, if you want to be found. <laughs> if I want to be found? No, I mean Instagram um, at a to the JJ. That's a the number two, T H E J J. On Twitter, a double Jones. So a the word double Jones. Uh, Facebook, I'm AJ Jones. Nice. Be my friend. You don't, <laughs> have, to, you don't, have, to, you don't have to. You don't have to follow Maybe me. Maybe a hug just, every just, now and then. Yeah, nice. just send me some stuff. Just Be my friend. Send, send me some free stuff. I need cookies. Oh, I'll take some merch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take some shoes. If you want a sponsorship? Uh, just call AJ Jones. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, check out check out the Freeman Jones stuff because that's you know it's it, that that's my most current art. You said it's Freeman that Jones represents on Freeman Jones. Yeah, so it's at uh, at Freeman Jones TV. Okay. On most everything, we're Freeman Jones TV on YouTube, Facebook's Freeman Jones TV, um, and then Twitter and Instagram's at Freeman Jones TV. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sitting down with me for this one-on-one. Oh, absolutely. Hope you stay here for a little bit as Michael will join us for a nice little roundtable discussion for Act Two. I don't know. I don't really know if I like Michael yeah, Lutheran that I mean, much. I don't care for him either, but I need the help. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. I can put on a happy face. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, well, we'll look forward to that next time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thank you once again, AJ Jones, for coming on. And back to you, Daniel. Oh, thank you. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with AJ. He was so much fun to talk to, uh, so relaxed. We had some great jokes and laughs and time with him. Um, we, We truly appreciate him taking the time out of his trip to sit with us and chat uh we hope he had a good time at all the festivals uh plays and stuff like that and uh we know he's doing a lot he he actually is helping run a um audition taping uh company where they tape auditions for people to send out to la um i believe it's called nova house uh so yeah super excited about that for him um just a few topics that were kind of touched upon uh, during this conversation that I wanted to kind of bring up. One of the biggest ones, I think, for me was the idea of, a, you know, surprise twists in life. You know, he came to L.A. looking to live that L.A. dream and actually found kind of the L.A. dream more in Los An- in uh, Atlanta. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you truly have to be prepared to accept what's best for you, your life, and your 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 happiness and your career and it kind of mixes in with my second thing is being able to understand and be able to accept who you are and what you can do and what's going on around you um you know like he said about being in san diego that he could stay and audition his butt off and maybe get a part but he's pretty sure that all the parts that he could play are going to be cast by people who have been in part of these theater companies or know someone in these theater companies uh for a while so, you know, having that that knowledge and that acceptance and awareness, he was able to make that decision to be okay going to Atlanta. He had lived around that area before, so he was used to it. He knew the area, so it wasn't too bad for him. But it's still knowing that and being able to give up, oh, maybe L.A. isn't the best place for me. Maybe this place that's having a film boom, I should go there and get my piece of the pie there. And, you know, you never know where your life's going to lead you. You don't know what's going to happen, who you're going to meet. And so being able to just kind of go with it and make sure you're still doing what you want, what you love, what makes you happy and brings you joy and surrounding yourself with people that bring that to you. But at the same time, knowing, well, maybe this path is better for me than this path. And I think that's really important to remember. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's it's tough maneuvering through life, and you just have to be able to let let it go sometimes. You know, if you 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 have faith in a higher power, you know, putting them that faith in them, and and then still being aware of the opportunities that higher power gives you um, is always great. Uh, so just keep your eyes open for things like that. Um, again, thank you to AJ Jones, uh, for talking to us. It was a really good conversation. Um, next week, AJ, uh, AJ, Michael and I, uh, discussed the, the film boom in Atlanta a little bit more and, and about like making it outside of LA and what that means. Uh, we discuss uh, acting and being creative and writing and, and developing your own shows and, you know, what that can do for your uh, personal brand and for your uh, uh, continued uh, success moving forward. Uh, so don't miss Act 2, our roundtable discussion with Michael, AJ Jones, and myself uh, next week. Um, before we go, it's been really weird the last few weeks, there's last few months, really, there's been a lot of things happening from the fires up in California, um, Las Vegas shootings, uh, and now another mass shooting in my home state, uh, in Sutherland Springs, Texas, um, at a church. Um, we try very hard to not be political on this show. We try very hard. Um, both Michael and I, uh, we, we definitely have our own political opinions. We have our own beliefs and morals and thoughts about how things should be or what should help, what could help America and, and the citizens in America. But, you know, we want our podcast to be an escape. Um, we want you to be able to get away from the terror and the tears and the fears in the world and laugh and enjoy a good conversation. And we want to continue to strive to be that. But I also feel like we would not do ourselves service if we ignore the things going around on around. Um, and if you you don't want to hear about it, you don't want to you know. If you just want to listen to escape, and that's great, and we appreciate your 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 uh, 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 loyalty and your love of our podcast, you can skip this. Uh, please feel free. Um, but. There's a problem in this country with this love and passionate defense of guns that, in my mind, I cannot conceive anybody ever needs to own for personal reasons. Mainly assault rifles that can shoot multiple, multiple, multiple bullets in under the smallest of seconds. Uh, if you're listening and you have a collection of guns, I'm not talking about or in, in, in anger to anyone that has guns or collects guns. I, you know, everybody has a collection that, you know, some people may think are weird or not agree with. And that's, that's fine, man. You do you. If you go hunting, I'm not talking about hunting. I am talking about assault rifles and guns made for mass destruction. The Las Vegas shooter owned 33 of those kinds of guns. Nobody 
nobody, no citizen should ever need that many guns or be allowed to purchase that many because if you're purchasing that many, you're preparing for something. That's just my belief. We send our thoughts and prayers to those that passed away in Sutherland Springs, Texas at a church who were there to be safe and pray and worship and commune with each other that was just ripped apart in seconds. Now you can say it's not a gun issue as our uh, quote-unquote president has said, um, that it's a mental health issue, but it's both. There was a law that kept those with mental uh, previous mental health issues from or making it harder for them to own or buy a gun, and that was taken away. That was recalled earlier this year. Again, a, a political stuff aside, I, I this is I feel like this is not a political issue. This is a life or death issue. And for those who have lost their lives in Las Vegas, or friends or family that have lost their lives. Uh, lost people in Las Vegas and Sutherland and Sandy Hook. I mean, you could just name so many more. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The facts are there from other countries that banning or making it harder to get guns does lower gun death rates. It's not about taking away your Second Amendment. The Second Amendment was made when muskets took a minute, 30 seconds to a minute to reload. And you could only shoot one bullet at a time. Not saying take away everybody's guns. I'm just saying we need to be smart about what gun at guns normal, regular, everyday people should be able to own. That's all I'm saying. I'm tired of seeing 26, 58, 100, 30, 13, 10, 5, 4, 3. I'm tired of seeing the news story in the mornings of another shooting. Yes. It's not going to stop all crimes We're dealing with guns and people are going to find ways, but you know what? It's going to help. And I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. Michael and I love all of our friends. We love all of our family. We love everyone right now listening to this podcast. Even though we may have not met you in person, we love you. We appreciate your value to this society and you living in this world and the friends and family that you care about. And for that to be ripped away because someone with mental health issues and domestic abuse past was able to get their hands on several assault rifles is mind-boggling. I would not wish that on anybody. I don't think it's worth being able to buy an AR-15 if it's sacrificing the possibility of someone you love or I love. Again, we send our thoughts and prayers to those affected by the shooting in Sutherland, Texas, in Las Vegas, in Sandy Hook, Columbine, the list goes on and on, North Carolina. We love you. We're thinking about you. We hope this pushes some kind of change. We hope, and we hope it's the last time we have to scream about it. Uh, just recently watched uh, Patton Oswalt's, uh, the comedian's new stand-up on Netflix, and his ex, his wife who passed away last year, uh, worked investigating cold cases, cold murder cases, and so she was in the minds and the heads and dealing with a lot of darkness, and she had to come up with, I think, a way to 
understand it and deal with it. And um, he mentions this quote that she would always say to him uh, in his special. And I think it's, it's right now, it's something that we need to hear. And that's, it's chaos. Be kind. It's simple, but true. This world is chaos, but we can all be kinder to each other and love each other. Love is love, is love, is love, is love. There's no room for hate. There's no room for anger. Thank you for letting me get that that off my chest. I hope you're still with me. I hope you'll still listen to us. Uh, Send us your thoughts, your emails uh, at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at LA Hustlecast or on Instagram, Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Um, We love you guys. Uh, Stay safe. And remember, it's chaos. Be kind and keep up the hustle. This episode of the Hollywood Hustle podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Kel Torados is our sound engineer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information about the show, please visit our website at hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.